It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big. Good at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 118. I have important information about your account. It's Thursday, the 18th of October, 4:24 in the afternoon. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast. It was International Friendlies Week, as known as the UEFA Nations League. But there was some classic action, and hell froze over in the England game. Roundup of the NFL results. And a look at uh, the Caesarwich horse racing and a flash horse odds disaster. Some value in the CJ Cup in South Korea. And later, in the second half of the Bashcast. Richard Flitt, CEO of Skybet, talks openly and honestly about restrictions. We take a look at Flutter, a blast from the past. The Sunday Times article and restrictions I mentioned last week that I didn't talk about, I'll talk about today. And we look at some edges. With the tax man, all this and more coming up tonight in the Bashcast. I hope you had a good week. Um, I've been looking forward in my calendar to the European Poker Tour in Prague. I have some revenge at that tournament from 2016 when I was in the main event the 5,300 euro main event coasting along, doing quite well I'd cultivated a kind of table image of being hyper aggressive maniac and so was dealt aces and across the table from me was French poker professional Valentin Messina who didn't believe me when I started 3, 4 and 5 betting him and we got all of our money in pre-flop for like 120 big blinds which is just the ideal position with aces and he turned over queens surprised to see my aces but he spiked a queen on the turn and knocked me out of the tournament and so I feel like I'm owed a little bit of um, revenge for the bad beat that I took in that tournament and I didn't play the WSOP in Vegas this summer, so I feel like I'm I'm owed a tournament. Valentin Messina did play the WSOP in Vegas this summer. He ran um, to 15th position in the main event of the World Series of Poker for $450,000. That buy-in money was mine, Valentin. You, the reason the EBT Prague is good fun, not just because the Christmas market and Prague's a nice place to be in December, but also my brother-in-law lives in Prague, and so with the small children, aged between zero and three, it's a lot easier on Jen when um, you know I'm away playing for someone else to come and look after them. Well, he's not there this year. He's away, and that means that 
I have no idea how people with small children get anything achieved for themselves. I just can't figure out a way of going to play poker that would be reasonable and fair on the family. Listen, if you play poker for a living or even just play poker for fun and you have small kids, could you drop me a line at tom at bookiebashing.net and tell me logistically how you get away with it? Because I cannot figure this one out. But Possibly my revenge is going to have to wait for another year. The weekend saw the international friendlies and the UEFA Nations League. Spain were playing England. England were 9-2, to 5-1 at most bookies, 6.4, 6.6 on the exchange because they were away playing in Sevilla, I think. I was looking at Fred's Double Delight Hattrick Heaven for anyone with a Spanish-sounding name. Not just the forwards, Ramos is always decent value. He takes the penalties and he does get a few and he's always double figures, you know. Sometimes you can see him at 20 to 1 or higher, although he was a little bit shorter in this game. Couldn't see any value in the game, though, other than Raheem Sterling, who, of course, hasn't scored in an England shirt in like 25 games and um, there is a snowball's hell chance in hell that he's going to get anything in this game. So, of course, I skirted over him. So hell froze over on the weekend. The sky fell and we all caught larks. The blue moon came around. It was the 12th of never last Monday evening. It was like getting blood from a stone. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series. The Cronulla Sharks won the NRL Premiership as flying pigs sailed across the sky and Sterling got double delight in an international match against Spain. I was on Ramos to score the first goal um, and Sterling scored twice. England won in Spain for the first time in 31 years. 
3-0 up at half-time as well. It was kind of a demolition job. Didn't see much value for it. Um, the value that I did see was on Spain and England won. But yeah, it was an entertaining game. The value I did see... Well, I saw some come on Tuesday. This was at, on my Sky account. Now, I was annoyed. I got pissed off on the weekend. I lost my Sky account. In fact, only recently somebody asked me, do I have any tips or advice on how to keep a Skybet account? And the answer patently is no, I don't. Um, I think, though, you can't be too annoyed. If you ask any professional gambler in the world, do they rely on having a Skybet? The answer is uh, not yes. Even Neil Channing, who was a sponsored Sky Poker professional, sort of frequently moaned that he had a 1% limited account, despite being Skybet um, sponsored. But I was relatively careful with this Skybet account, and uh, but on the weekend I got an email saying that I have been restricted, and so if I try and get any money on any, say, the daily tennis accumulator, I'll, I can get like a pound fifty on it. Now, to their credit, if I go into enhanced accumulators under football, where there is occasionally value, I can still win £250 and I can get £25 on a 10 to 1, and that's credit to Skybet. And quite often, there is value to be found there. The problem that we had with the scraper is that they do track the exchanges quite closely quite carefully there isn't much latency and so when the value comes in you've got to be quick otherwise they cut and when i'm only manually posting sort of um screenshots of the scraper whenever i'm at the computer that doesn't aid in finding lots of value at skybet it's sort of you know you only find it when i'm looking that's not an ideal situation well the scraper bot a lot more efficient tracking skybet's um, prices against the exchange all the time, and throws up a load of them. Now, I've said in the past that I'm not entirely convinced that value is only to be benchmarked against a static lay price on the exchange. I also think you need to take into account the delta change of the price of an event. So something is steaming in, which is the result of smart money betting on it. Once it is steamed in enough, Something's going on. And were you to bet on things that were 98% that had steamed in from 90% and compare infinite bets that exhibited that behavior against bets that were 102% but had drifted from 110% EV, I bet you any money that the 98% ones would show more consistent profit and that's because you are following the smart money and smart money is smarter than static money in my honest opinion so anything that steams in my theory is that that is a long-term profitable strategy if you can bet on it and it's not too far off so i don't mind taking 98 97 96 percent ev and that is the reason why i will occasionally just um, filter the scraper and have a look what's going on at Skybet. Also, Skybet offer these 200 to 1, 300 to 1, and I love betting on those because you only lose a couple of quid when you don't get it right. Hashtag bankroll management. So on the Tuesday night, I was kind of pissed off at Skybet for limiting me and my ability to bet on normal things. So uh, I wanted to bet on anything, and there wasn't a lot going on. But I did see uh, Gibraltar, Norway, and Georgia 
which was the highest rated sky bet at 10 to 1, 11. Now, it was only 11.8 on the exchange, so it was still 96 point something percent EV, but that had come in quite dramatically. It was like 11.14 a couple of hours earlier. So something smart money-wise was suggesting that either Norway were going to win, Georgia were going to win, or Lightning was going to strike twice and Gibraltar were going to beat Liechtenstein. Now, anyone that subscribes to Betting Emporium will know that Brodders rates Liechtenstein, says that they're an underrated team and quite often fancies them on the Asian handicap market. Well, they were away to the tiny, strange Anglo-Spanish nation of Gibraltar. Um, and it really came down to that match. Norway beat Bulgaria 1-0. Georgia easily beat Latvia 3-0 away. In Latvia, so it came down to Gibraltar versus Liechtenstein. Gibraltar had recently won the first game four days ago against Armenia last Saturday. Um, it was their first ever competitive vic- victory in 22 games. Well, they recorded their second, Liechtenstein went ahead, but Gibraltar came back to score two goals, which was great. So that Skybet 11 to back, but not plus EV, Gibraltar, Norway and Georgia came in for me and I was able to take Skybet for exactly £250 a few hours after they restricted me. And um, I hope that those limits um, stay because I'm limited on everything else. So I'm led to believe that the limits I had then uh, remain. And if they're going to restrict me to Squadouche, but then let me get £250 profit on all of their enhanced accumulators, then I'm more than happy to sit there and snipe off as many as I can. The other one was Norway, France and Ukraine on the um, Monday night. We already discussed that Norway won. France were behind 1-0 to Germany. Germany can't win a match these days, but they came back to win it 2-1. And Ukraine beat Czech Republic 1-0. That was a come on. Now, I opened in a come on account years and years ago, and then I've just left it dormant, and then all of a sudden discovered all the value there. I'm kind of late to the party. I know other people have been betting on lots of value at come on recently. I'm very surprised at two things. One, how good the value is, and two, how good the limits are. So it's a nice find for me, come on. Um, And it was a decent night in the UEFA Nations League as well. Made up for the the flash horse disaster I had yesterday. So, recently wrote this blog on trading 101, like the easiest trading. I mean, trading, all trading revolves around knowing what market to bet on, what selection within the market, and in which direction the anticipated price movement is going to go. And with the William Hill flash odds horse, it's very easy to know that layers are going to come in, drive the price up, it's going to plateau and then come back down again. And it pretty much exhibits that behavior every single time, meaning that you should be able to lay low and then back high and then back high and lay low a second time if you so fancy and have the patience to wait to the off. By the way, today's off is in 11 minutes or maybe slightly distracted 11 minutes time in this um, bashcast. So I wrote the blog just a simple one on, you know, set your alarm for 11.58 a.m. for every day of the week so that you can be ready to see which um, horse William Hill is boosting. 
it does seem that they leak the information to enough people because every single time, um, if you look at the horse immediately, like you refresh the William Hill page at 12 o'clock, you see what the horse is, you go to the exchange, that horse is already drifting. There's plenty of people that know up front what, which one the horse is. So they're jumping the jumping the queue. And I wrote at the bottom of the blog, the predicted price movements will happen most of the time. But occasionally unexpected things happen, like the horse gets boosted and the price comes down. We will have to trade out for a loss. That is fine the, if the majority of our trades are for a profit. The majority of my trades are for a profit. But what happened yesterday was that um, Alasia Nottingham at 3.30 um, was boosted to 5-2. to two. Now, this horse was 3 in the exchange boosted to five to two so as it came up to about 3.3 3.4 i backed because i thought that that would be where it plateaued like there are there are going to be no um advantage players or arbors that are going to be backing at 3.5 and laying at 3.5 so it's probably going to reach around about 3.5 and come back down again well it reached 3.5 and it kept on going throughout the afternoon and it hit 4, 4.1, 4.2, and it was a nightmare because I had £2,000 on him at 3.3 backed. I was trying to lay. I was like, when is this horse going to come down? And it looked like I had signs like it was going to come down, and it didn't. And then um, I didn't. I don't have a subscription to Racing UK, which is the channel that was on. So I knew, knew that they were in the stores, but I couldn't leave it to the absolute last second. So I bailed at 3.95 or something like that for about a £350 loss, which is as bad as trading the William Hill flash odds has ever been. I mean, I've won that in a single race, and I'm up overall. It's just it was a stinger taking that yesterday. And then in literally the 15 seconds when the horses were in the stalls until they went, the price crashed from 3.95 down to 3.3 had i held my nerve but i wasn't to know because i don't have a stream and even if i did have a stream you don't know how far behind the actual off you are and you certainly don't want to be going in play when you've backed two thousand pounds because all the horse has to do is not get out of the stalls well and you can wave goodbye to your kids christmas so yeah i bailed from that it was pretty terrible the Caesar Witch, however, wasn't anywhere near as bad. I enjoyed that. Now, look, back in the day at Bucky Bashing, we had uh, a horse's extra place table that we put up each weekend. And over the years, extra places in horse racing has become much fewer and further between. And um, the market seems to be saturated with so many people doing this. Combine that with the fact that OddsMonkey have an excellent tool that tracks live prices. It means that we have focused our energies elsewhere. We're trying to find um, advantages where other people are not looking, not where everybody is looking because that's just a saturated and crowded market. Regardless, there was value to be had in the Caesar Witch because despite the fact that Everyone was, of course, one to five odds, one fifth, um, when the, you know, one to four would be fair. William Hill were eight places, Paddy Power was seven places, Coral was seven places, and William Hill were eight places in shop as well, meaning that 
you know, you you could pop into the shop or you could get on online if you wanted to. And um, they are laying decent amounts on um, these races online as well. And they took a decent bet for me. Now, because I'm not covering the field, there were, this is a season which there are 7,216 horses racing at Newmarket in this race. Um, and I, it wasn't possible to, but you could get on quite a few um uh, just as positive expected value in either laying the place and hoping to pick up the extra place or even just using the fact that the place is value to have a fun value mug which is the strategy that i chose because look i want to cover about half the field and if i'm not going to cover half the field i'm just going to mug it basically that's my plan that was the plan with golf all the time like if i'm not covering a significant amount of golfers then i'm just gonna have fun with the ones that i am covering so just had some small mugs on stars over the sea limony low sun and southern france who's the 92 favorite at most bookmakers um and if you're play paying Seven places, you would hope that Southern France, or eight places, you would hope that Southern France made it at 9-2 into those eight places. Well, you squeezed in an eighth, so that's pretty much money back, just a tiny little loss. I think if you put £100 each way on at 9-2, when it's 1-5 to five odds, and you're getting eight places, you squeezed into eight, so you like a tenner loss on your £200 bet. But Low Sun did the decent thing and won it 10-1, to one. Um, and so I returned... A little bit of profit there on Low Sun, just mugging the place. And it's a lot more fun, I think, as well, cheering on the winner than it is trying to figure out who comes in 5th, 6th, 7th or 8th in a horse race. But the good news there is that, you know, William Hill laying bets on, you know, old online gubbed accounts and they're doing um, enough extra places to make the 1 to 5 odds value as well. So encouraging times there in the horse racing world. Now, I think it was betting Southern France online at eight places at my Sky Bet account that could have been the death knell for it. But who knows? You know, it could have been a number of different things. I've been doing the NFL middles at Sky Bet. I do wonder if it was that as well. It was, it was, in fact, here you go. It was either consistently just betting on bad each way obs um, on horse racing. Or it was taking obscure middles for relatively high stakes in NFL. It was one of the two. Because I don't think any of my other betting behavior would have impacted such um, restrictions that I got. Talking about the NFL. So as always, starting with my season-long 16 and nil bet. Which I think I'm just going to have to transfer all of my hopes now. over to the NBA because there were two teams left who were unbeaten. They were the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams. Well, the Rams squeezed past the Denver Broncos 23-20, but the Chiefs lost against the New England Patriots in an 83-point game, 43-40, and that leaves me just with the Los, An the Los Angeles Rams and running back Todd Gurley to win the next eight games in a row. Good Luck me. We've been looking at some of the stats of um, running backs, actually, and just trying to iron out um, 
our EV calculation. We're going to get a calculator up for middles uh, at some point, either this weekend or next week. Um, so I took Frank Gore's rushing career because he's had 14 years in the NFL, 270-odd games. And um, he's rushed between zero and 210 yards for each of his games. But it's very much a bell curve, as you can imagine, right? So he he's only rushed over 160 yards three times. So you can take the top quarter of that bell curve and pretty much dismiss it because that's come in three out of 210 times, less than 1% of the time does the top quarter of the bell curve come in. And the same with the bottom. He very rarely gets 0, 5, 10, very rarely gets less than 20 yards. His average rushing yardage in a game is 71.3 and the overwhelming majority of games he rushes for between 30 and 110 yards so that's the distribution curve that we want to look at when we're working out value in middles and when it comes to rushing about a five yard middle is very thin but it'll come in four percent of the times as long as you're getting implied odds that are better than 25 to 1 then your four percent is good if you can get a 10-yard middle, which is quite big in rushing, not so big in passing, but there's fewer yardage numbers in um, rushing, then, you know, that that's gonna, a 10-yard middle is going to come in 8% of the time. So if you got 12 to 1 or better, if you've got 12 to 1 or better on your middle, it's likely that you've got something positive expectation. And if you've got something crazy like 15-yard middle, then that's going to come in 12% of the time. You only need 8 to 1. 8 to 1. Who doesn't get 8 to 1 when they're dutching two, an under and over on... Um, player props together so we've done this for frank gore in rushing yards and i did it for drew Brees, who has a career even longer than frank gore going back to 2001 the new orleans saints quarterback drew Brees. i've done it for him for passing yardage so just need to do it for receiving yardage and we've got this kind of heuristic analysis get the bell curves up on the side get an ev calculator done and dusted and then sit back and just you know, hammer the NFL middles and make some money. Didn't get on any on the weekend because I was running the Birmingham Half Marathon stupidly. I had the little birdie on my shoulder, say, my friend's running it, and I like nothing more in the world than beating him at things. So I entered it last, entered it last minute, kind of wondering if I could run it and finish it, and I did. It wasn't a great idea. I was in a world of pain on Monday, and I won't be doing that again. And so um, I was also in a world of pain on Sunday night. So um, only got on the low-hanging fruit, which for me was the William Hill treble, which was the uh, where is it? The Seahawks, the Jets, and the Redskins up at six to one. Now, obviously. I'm not going to bother getting on that at William Hill because the max they're offering is ten pounds. But the value became good enough that when it went on either Smarkets or Matchbook, I f actually forget which one I was on, possibly Matchbook, um, but it can appear on both. Um, the Arbors pushed it up to about 105, 106% there, and so I was able to get on it for decent stakes on the exchange, and it came in. So uh, that was the low-hanging fruit for me on Sunday night for the NFL. But yeah, I'm down to the Los Angeles Rams now, uh, to, for my 16 and nil and they've got to win eight games in a row i think i'm just going to transfer all my season-long american hopes over 
to the Golden State Warriors sooner rather than later. Some unexpected golf value. Uh, the CJ Cup is in Korea. Now, we provide golf scrapes for extra place value for the four majors and rarely for any small tournaments. But there was a minor amount of value, not very much, but a minor amount of value around for the CJ Cup in South Korea. So Betfred were seven places, but one to five odds, which kind of kills a lot. Um... Paddy Power were also seven places, one to five odds. And usually with these tournaments, the top five market is illiquid, not very efficient. And that's what, combined with the one to five odds, means that there's rarely much value there. But for a, a small window yesterday, Charlie Hoffman, 110 to one. Ian Poulter, 66 to one. Jason Day, 14 to one. Jamie Lovemark, 110 to one. And Justin Thomas, 11 to two. We're all... 180% plus EV, um, if not OBS in the case of Hoffman, if you wanted to lay the place at Betfred. And he was online, small limits, in-shop, larger limits. So managed to get the majority of those guys. Um, I was on Polter small limits online, went to get on in-shop, and he was cut very quickly. So you had to be a little bit sharp to get on those. Um, strange starting time the CJ Cup, because most golf starts Thursday morning through to Thursday afternoon when the golf is in America. But of course, the time zone in South Korea means that this starts in the middle of the night on Wednesday night. Ian Poulter's first round was two under and he sits in tied fourth position. So a 66 to one shot there. Again, same strategy, right? If I'm not getting on significant amount of these players, uh, I'm not going to bother laying in them because the chances of the extra place um, isn't enough I am more interested in picking up the win and so yeah one of Charlie Hoffman Ian Poulter Jason Day Jamie Lovemark or Justin Thomas would be a decent enough payday there and if there's any more small value on minor tournaments that aren't majors then of course check out boogie bashing we may just have scraped them and posted up the one or two golfers that come good right guys that's enough to take us to the break you are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by boogie bashing
and welcome back to the Bashcast. That was the quite light version of Paper Romance by the inimitable Groove Armada 2012. Hope you had a good break. During the break, I found my wallet that I had been looking for. For three whole days. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. That's cheered me up. In the bookie bashing news, a blast from the past. This is an article from journalist Greg Wood from The Guardian from Wednesday the 16th of January 2002. What were you doing just past the new year? in 2002 and this guardian report is headlined flutter's departure leaves a bitter taste at precisely midnight last sunday night a small piece of cyberspace winked out of existence they closed down the server pulled the plug from the socket and that was the end of flutter Com. To the suits who backed it, to the tune of £30 million, it was just another X.com thrown onto the pile with Boo and Let's Buy It and the rest. To thousands of punters, this one included, the end of Flutter leaves a big black hole. For those who never logged on, Flutter was a betting exchange. Betting exchanges allow anyone to lay or back anything at all. If the favourite for a novice chase is even money and you don't fancy its chance, an exchange will let you lay at 11 to 10. Everything else in the race is running for you. Flutter had just one serious rival in the betting exchange market, Betfair.com. Both offered the same basic service but with important differences. Flutter used fractional odds, the 4 to 7 and 100 to 30 that you find in the racing results, while Betfair prefers all in digits like 1.64 and 3.6. Flutter charged a flat rate commission of 2.5% on winnings. Betfair, for practical terms, charges between 4 and 5%. Flutter started slowly in early 2000 and only really got a handle on what punters wanted about nine months ago. But after that, its website was a joy. Quick, easy, and intuitive. Betfair was clunky and frustrating in comparison. That was my experience anyway, though others may disagree, because for many punters who had discovered this novel and addictive method of betting, the matchup between Flutter and Betfair was rather like the one facing a football fan born in Liverpool. You had to support one or the other, and sadly, for some of us, Flutter turned out to be Everton. A couple of days before Christmas, it was announced that Flutter was merging with Betfair. The merger was, in fact, nothing of the sort. Betfair had taken over, and from Monday... It controlled 98% of the exchange betting market. Punters, used to Flutter's rate of commission, now must pay twice as much for their pleasure and use a site which feels painfully slow by comparison. The received wisdom was that Flutter was failing and saved from oblivion by the benevolence of Betfair, but the truth may be rather different. Flutter insiders say that their site had 30% of the market, up from 4% in 12 months and 16% in July at the time of takeover. Betfair 
The market leader was terrified and bought them up to close them down. Flutter was founded by two Americans, Stamford graduates both. They were very bright and very arrogant, one ex-Flutter employee says. Raising the 30 million was the last smart thing they did in a way because they completely got the wrong end of the stick. They thought people would bet with friends on whether they would beat each other at squash on a Friday night. By the time the penny had dropped and Flutter switched to pure exchange betting, allowing anyone to bet on anything, most of the 30 million had already gone. Soon their website was far superior to Betfair's, but the debts from their misguided past left them vulnerable. The precise terms of the takeover remain secret, but the Flutter side are thought to have sold out for about one quarter of Betfair, which was merely a £1 million startup. If they'd had more balls, the ex-Flutter employee says, Flutter could have been the market leader this time next year. What should worry punters is that an empowering new form of betting is now in the hands of a single operator and one which, rather like Microsoft, apparently wants to swallow up its rivals rather than engage in meaningful competition. The Racing Post recently described Betfair as the Ladbrokes of exchange betting, which is nonsense. It is now Ladbrokes, Hills, Coral and Tote all in one. Already the strain is showing. Betfair's service creaked under the weight of bets last weekend, prompting threads in its own online chat forum with headers including Betfair, you're a joke, and bye-bye fast flutter, hello, slow, 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 Betfair. Another punter offered the following comment on the Betfair service, totally unbearable. Imagine the thoughts of flutter customers now paying double the price, i.e. commission, for this new service which isn't even one-tenth of what Flutter offered in terms of speed and ease of use. This site and merger is doomed unless there are dramatic changes. Imagine going first class and then being moved to economy and being asked to pay double for it. Person-to-person betting could be the most significant development for punters since overround betting emerged 200 years ago. But it is now a market with no competition which offers the potential for both stagnation and exploitation. Nor is it easy for competitors to buy in. An exchange needs liquidity, i.e. users and cash, and acquiring it is expensive and time-consuming. The only real alternative at present is the exchange on gg.com, but it does not have the speed or low commission of dear departed flutter. And so a butterfly flaps its wings. Now, one of the employees of Flutter.com was Richard Flint, who went on to be CEO of Skybet. And Star Sports have a rather interesting three-part interview with Richard Flint on their website at www.starsportsbet.co.uk forward slash interview dash Richard Dash Flint, and I implore you to go and watch all three parts. But if you are too lazy, part of the second part of the trilogy was about restrictions. And given that I got restricted by Skybet on the weekend, the discussion was rather pertinent to my situation. So I thought I would play a little bit of it on the bashcast from a bookmaking angle um 
you know, you're a massive, massive company worth millions, possibly billions of pounds, but you've been criticised for playing very small, as in the sort of stakes that some punters can get on. Do you think that that sort of profit or locking in has embarrassed the bookmaking industry a bit, the traditional bookmaking industry a bit, and upset punters and put, sort of put them off racing that they can't get on? I mean, I think it upsets uh, a vocal, a very small vocal minority. Um, and I, I can't say unequivocally that every person that we restrict and we've made the right decision on. But, you know, a couple of important points on that. First, we are a mass market um, company. We focus on um, small stakes and a, but a lot of a lot of customers. We don't, we've never claimed to be a firm that uh, takes on big hitters that, and has a you know, a clear position, it's not really where we play. So um, we've never claimed to be someone that will lay massive bets to shrewd customers. Um, the second thing on that is, you know, we also, we take, we, we spend a lot of money acquiring customers. Actually restricting them um, is something that is not a decision we take lightly. You know, we, we restrict customers if we think that we're going to lose money to them in the long run. You know, we, we don't, feel we're obliged to continue to lay bets to customers we're going to lose to. We don't think that's right. So we will restrict our our, um, our losses to people who we think will win money from us in the long run. Um, that's the principle behind it. Um, I can't say we get every decision right. But if, you know, if we think someone is going to lose money over the long run to us, of course we're going to carry on laying them. Now, one of my recent interviewees, professional punter Dean Valentine, said that he has a special arrangement with some bookies to get on in return for a card mark. Do you have similar punters? We don't have similar punters to that, um, but we do. You know, one of the reasons why we um, we restrict not close accounts is because um, you know some people who are very well informed um, will carry on betting you know, smaller stakes than they would like through us, and um, that information. Uh, can be used in in changing the price, so that's why we restrict not close. But a sort of a card mark arrangement, like you've spoken about, I'm not aware that we ever have that sort of relationship. Okay, and another thing that a lot of bookmakers, especially vocal bookmakers on Twitter, they're obsessed with arbors, convinced that people are earning off of them. I mean, really, what does it matter to you what a backer does? I'd buy records if I want anything. I mean, what does it matter to you what a punter does with their winnings? After all, you've offered the prices. Well, I think it. It often, you know, those people obviously, the, the state of the market and those people getting on ARBs probably indicates that we've got the price wrong. So, um, we, you know, we adjust the price to that. If you've got a lot of people ARBing in the market, um, that ultimately takes money out of the ecosystem. Um, we, you know, it's not going, not going back to everyday punters. It's not uh, profit that we make. It's not going into levy. Uh, you know, it's, it's bad for the whole ecosystem. So, um, I'm not sure we would be vocal about it on Twitter but uh, we certainly wouldn't want to take a lot of money from uh, Arbors unless we were so super confident in our price that we were happy to lay that price to anyone but you know we, we're we're humble in uh, in how we trade and if, if there's Arbors on a particular um, side of a, of, a, of, a, of a market then um, we've probably got the price wrong. Okay so my thoughts on what Richard has to say there well I can understand a couple of points. One that, you know, 
people that rely on bookmakers to make a professional living probably don't have a Skybet account or at least rely on a Skybet account. And he, at the end of the day, is a business. The National Lottery is a business, and if the National Lottery was beatable, do you think the government or Camelot or the Euromillions or the charities or the stakeholders in general would allow a minority of people to regularly beat it and take money out of the environment? However, the difference between the National Lottery and Skybet, and it's an important difference, is that Skybet and all bookmaking markets itself as aspirational. It should be possible to be able to make money and win at the bookmaker, um, albeit at a limited sense. I mean, you can't simply have a small group of people taking all of the money out because then all of the money disappears. There's only a finite amount of money. This is a zero-sum game. If the arbors take all the money out, then the punters and the bookmakers are left with no money themselves. I just think my issue is the size of the restrictions. By all means, restrict, but I still think allowing the ability to get a little bit on. The difference between the stakes, the value betters and arbors want to get on is significant. Um, and I'm just, from a personal point of view, thinking that they could let value better slip through the door, perhaps. And this is also why, for us, it's never a good idea just to press the max button every time we come across value. We've got to do ourselves a little bit of a favour. Help the bookmakers. Help us. Okay, the next in the Booking Back Shing News, there was a Sunday Times article um the not last sunday but the sunday before titled new dispute system will help punters but only if gaming regulator shows its teeth imagine winning nineteen thousand pounds from an online betting operator but then finding it almost impossible to have those winnings transferred into your bank account because the firm deliberately stalls on paying out this happened not long ago to a young man with a gambling problem the company hid behind the excuse that the ID provided for it to pay out was insufficient and wanted proof of income and bank statements. It kept prevaricating, even though it had been more than happy to open his account with no checks or references. That is bad enough. But there is an even more sinister side to the way the company behaved. As the operator knew the winner had issues and he probably could not help himself. It reckoned the longer it held out, the more likely he would lose. And indeed, because of his addiction, he kept on punting, and by the time it eventually agreed to reimburse him, he had gambled away another £12,000. Now, this is admittedly an extreme example of the type of practices which have given the industry such a bad name in recent times. The anger, frustration, and sense of helplessness that punters feel at the way they are treated has never been higher. They feel that betting firms can restrict and ban punters pretty much with impunity, especially if they show any sign of making a consistent profit from their betting. 
Another complaint is that the bookmakers have onerous and unfair terms and conditions behind them, which they can hide behind to avoid paying out winners. The sense of helplessness comes in trying to seek redress through the existing dispute resolution system. They feel the system is loaded in favour of the bookmaker and that it is simply not fit for purpose. The process can drag on interminably and many simply give up. 90% of disputes go through the Independent Betting Arbitration Service, which receives fees from the industry itself and it has been known for members who sit on panels to have connections with bookmakers or have been paid for them for other work. This is a potential for enormous conflict of interest. Under pressure... And in the interest of openness and fairness, the Gambling Commission has finally taken steps to address the problem. On Monday, after many months of consultation, it released a 32-page missive entitled Alternate Dispute Resolution in the Gambling Industry. Its publication has been cautiously welcomed by voluntary organisations such as Justice for Punters, who highlighted the case at the top of this article to me. Brian Chappell is one of their band of campaigners who work to secure retribution and recompense, where they feel there is a genuine case. An improved ADR system cannot come soon enough. Until now, the disputes procedure, often unfunded and undermanned, was totally loaded in the bookmaker's favour. The individual could make a complaint and the bookmaker reject it, but the punter would not be told on what grounds or on what evidence, as Chapel said. It has been like going to court... And the prosecution saying, we have lots of evidence that you are guilty, but we are not going to tell you. You're just going to have to accept it. Well, now, belatedly, companies will be forced to deal with complaints within eight weeks of receiving them. A so-called deadlock letter will be issued. Beforehand, bookmakers have been known to take many months. Now punters will be able to track their progress on, um, on their cases online. The document goes on, if a gambling business does not engage with the ADR provider and or fails to supply information that has been reasonably requested, the provider should proceed to make the decision based on the evidence they hold. This means that the provider may find the case in favour of the consumer in the absence of evidence to the contrary. And finally, the ADR regulations require a provider, in this instance the bookmaker, to disclose to a party to a dispute on request. The arguments, evidence, documents and facts put forward by the other party as part of the requirements under fairness. Customers will have a better deal. But to be fair, it couldn't be worse than what existed, Chapel says. Customers should particularly note that they are now entitled to see evidence provided by a gambling company as part of their dispute and that they may be entitled to be reimbursed for any costs incurred during the dispute process. The new dispute guidelines, as long as they are carried out correctly by ADRs and enforced robustly by the Gambling Commission, will provide a much fairer system for the customer. Overall, this is a positive development. The Gambling Commission is trying to close some of the loopholes described. But as with all things regulatory, if it doesn't police it properly, then companies will keep abusing it. The Commission needs to show it has teeth. Failure to do so is too high a cost to pay. That is nothing but good news 
that the arbitration process with bookmakers is getting a long overdue overhaul. Okay, guys. Are there any edges anywhere? There are edges everywhere. 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 Everywhere, 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 everywhere. There are edges, there are edges, there are edges, there are edges. There are edges, there are edges, there are edges, there are edges. Come on, right, come on now. No, that's enough. That, that, that's enough of that. Uh, tax chat, who doesn't like a little bit of tax chat? My dad does. And at Kroner TaxWise, the chartered accountants were recently asked, my client's son is a professional poker player who wins around £4,000 a month from playing poker. This is all he does, and he has no other earnings. Are the winnings taxable if playing poker is his profession? And this dribbles down to the argument or the question, um, am I liable for tax on my bookie bashing winnings, especially if I do this as a full-time income? And the answer is, betting and gambling do not amount to trading, and so the winner is not taxable on their profits nor will the loser receive relief for any of their losses from gambling. However, where you uh, are organising activities to profit from the gambling public, then this will normally amount to trade, i.e. bookmakers would be taxable on their profits. With a professional gambler, you may be concerned as to whether their winnings would be taxable because gambling is their full-time job and they make their living by gambling and being successful at it. Now, the fact that an individual may or may not have some kind of system by which they place their bets and are successful enough to earn a living by gambling does not make their activities a trade. This is upheld in the case of Graham versus Green, 1925. Any reference fans, that's 9TC309, which concerned an individual who earn their living by betting on horses. Rowlett J says, I do not think that you can find in his case any conception arising in which his individual operations can be said to be merged in the way that particular operations are merged in the conception of a trade. I think all you can say of that man 
is that he is addicted to betting. It is extremely difficult to express, but it seems to me that people would say he is addicted to betting and could not say that his vocation is betting. The subject is involved in great difficulty of language, which I think represents great difficulty of thought. There is no tax on a habit. So whilst a professional poker player may have expertise in poker and may be systematic in their gambling, that is not enough to create a trade being a professional gambler. In some instances, a professional gambler may be carrying on a trade. For example, when they receive money for appearing on TV programs. In this case, they are providing a service to the TV production company for a fee. If they were to be gambling on the show, whether or not their winnings or proceeds of that trade is a question of fact. So there you go. Don't worry about getting in touch with Mr. Taxman unless you're from outside of the UK. Right, what's coming up? Uh, Well, next week we have the WTA finals, the tennis finals in Singapore as well as the United States Grand Prix in Austin and uh, Champions Day at Ascot this Saturday. But for the most part, it's all about the football. Big game to kick us off after the international break. Saturday lunchtime will be Chelsea versus Manchester United. Of course, the game of the weekend will be Newcastle-Brighton. Newcastle, 6-5 favourites to win that match against Crazy Price. Newcastle just consistently... um, uh, Overpriced, so I'll be definitely mugging that. Huddersfield versus Liverpool. If it sounds, by the way, that I'm just like gleefully mugging Newcastle in every game, it's not true. I mean, it is true, but it there is thought process gone into it. I'm not just going to take, and I don't just take every price ever, but just recently, last four or five games, Newcastle have been playing better than the markets have suggested. So I'm having some six to five. Huddersfield, Liverpool in the evening. Only one game on Sunday, Everton Palace, and one game on Monday. That's because European football is back next week. Champions League is back. It's nothing but good news. Manchester City travel to Shakhtar Donetsk on Tuesday night, whilst Manchester United are at home to Juventus. That's going to be a hell of a game, Manchester United-Juventus. And then on the Wednesday, Liverpool are at home to... Kravina Zvedveda, who got smashed by Paris Saint-Germain, and that could be a big score for Liverpool on the Wednesday night. So, good to see the Champions League back. Good luck, and whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is Big. This is a cool spot. It's a way. Remember, my time. I can see it.